Welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience, a podcast confronting current events, politics, comedy, and calamity, all from the perspective of a trans titaness. She's a verbal black belt, skilled in the art of roasting, the hellmouth, doomsayer, CEO of the Amazon position. Here's your host, Kim M. Terrell. Welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience. I'm your host, Cameron Ayin Eileen Maharet Terrell, a.k.a. Tranos. Say it with your whole chest or I'll kick flip your grandmother down the steps. This is Tranos and the Lived Experience, the show that sculpts art from loneliness and satire. Before we get into it, this episode is brought to you, as it always is, by the meeting of music and marijuana. Today's strain is um, Granimals. Uh, I got a little bit of that today. Uh, Granimals is a potent indica marijuana strain made by crossing grape pie and animal cookies. This strain produces a calming and euphoric effect accompanied with a tingly full body high. Granimals is ideal for winding down you know, in the evening after a long day of work. I generally smoke it while I'm working because I'm a fucking wild card. Today's episode song is brought to you by Bad Omen. The name of the song is, um, hold on, wait a minute, did I lose it? It's Just Pretend. Uh, I found this episode that that song would be very fitting for the subject matter we're going to take on. Today we'll uh, elaborate a little bit more on the existence of the du- duality within, I'm not going to speak for all trans people, but I'm going to speak specifically for myself. Um, the episode is called Two Sides, One Coin. Okay, let's... uh. Let's jump right into it. Maybe I should probably take a hit of this marijuana first because I'm probably going to cry at some point. Um, We are also live on Instagram currently. Not that anyone cares. I've generally found that nobody cares, but I'm going to keep doing it until somebody does. This is generally the mode that I I work under. I punch and punch and punch and punch until it lands. Um, So let's get into it. My pronouns. Let's expound upon my pronouns. Generally, when I'm in the company of people who would understand, my pronouns are she, her, we. And the reason why uh, we is because I pay a certain amount of homage and and reverence to who I was before. Because I crafted this husk, not believing that at any point in time it would develop its own feelings or its own understanding of the world, or its own mode or, 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 or um, action when it came to things. There's a distinct difference between who I am now and who I was then. And the only way I could really expound upon it is just to talk about it openly. My birth name, which I will not say, <laughs> uh, I lived as that for a time. Understanding only what a child would understand. I understood that I was what people told me I was. But I always had this feeling in the back of my mind, in, in my stomach, um, in my being, that there was there that just wasn't it. it. I wasn't just a little boy. I wasn't just a little Christian child. I wasn't just a little black boy. I was more. I was more. I felt it all the time. And I identified very young 
as she and had to be told several times that that's not correct. That wasn't correct. I questioned why I wasn't allowed to be she, why I wasn't allowed to be called she, why I wasn't allowed to do things that she liked. And after several attempts at trying to place myself in a, in a, in a comfortable space, I realized that I wasn't allowed to do that. So I built a construct. And at first, this construct had no name whatsoever. Um, it was just who I had to be when in the world. I had to be strong. I had to be uh, everything that a little boy was supposed to be. I had to be resilient. I had to be durable. I had to be tough. I had to be all of those things. So I started building those things. I started acting those things out actively. And when I was doing that, I had no idea that I was giving life to a being, but that's exactly what I did. Um, I want to fast forward a little bit. Let's get to around like 13 years old. 13 years old was right when I was being introduced into the system. I was a foster child. Um, I realized I had to be more than what I had built. What I had built was still too soft, was still too feminine, still had uh, edges were too round. They needed to be sharpened. Uh, so I became tougher. I became meaner at times. I became more standoffish. I ignored feelings that I was having. I tried not to show emotions as much as possible until it became second nature. And at this time, I would not answer to my, my birth name my dead name currently, but I wouldn't answer to it at all. Not for teachers, not for therapists, not for case management, not for uh, the custodians who were on the properties at foster care. I didn't answer to my dead name at all. I only answered to one name. That name was Dre. If you met me after 1993, that's who you remember me as. D-R-A-V-E-N, Draven. And Draven, because I like poetry and art, and, and, and I like uh, theatrics, Draven is after the character Eric Draven. But I patterned who I was in a daily sense after Eric Draven. But what was really going on is what we're going to talk about today, is in me building my own symbiont. Um, I developed a relationship because I spend a lot of time, like I do currently, I currently spend large amounts of time by myself um, through no fault of my own. I just feel isolated from the world. I feel uh, at times forgotten, at times overlooked. Thus, uh, is this is the plight of trans black women everywhere. So it's not really unique to me. Um, I spend so much time by myself as a teenager, uh, that I started conversating with myself, having conversations about what happened during the day, things that I wasn't allowed to feel in the moment. And I started to ruminate on my days and I started to pour the hurt and the anger that I felt constantly into this being, which made him stronger, him more durable, him more willing to act, him more willing to protect me, because this is an ongoing theme in my life. There aren't many protectors for me.
Not many. And as I moved through my high school years, uh, Draven slowly became Dre. And around 1997, I started wrestling. So I had to move into a new environment with more pitfalls and more misogyny. Um, and while there, I, I dabbled in trying to let people know what I was, thinking that I was in safe enough spaces or had close enough friends. Uh, uh, reference uh, any Cameron post about professional wrestling where I stated that the brotherhood is false. Uh, I mean it. I know it hurt a lot of people's feelings, me saying it, but it didn't make it not true. Um, as I moved through uh, the the bullshit racism and the rampant misogyny and homophobia, not even once wanting to share the fact that I was trans. I think I told a professional wrestler that I was bisexual and then they immediately, once upset with me, told everyone. And I guess it was supposed to harm me. Um, it didn't. It didn't change anything other than the fact that I couldn't trust literally anyone. Um, if it wasn't my uh, queerness being brought into question constantly, it was uh, my intelligence. Because for some reason, me being a black wrestler somehow made me stupid. Um, I wasn't given the benefit of the doubt most of the time. If I stood up for myself, I was considered the aggressor, so I became it. And over time, Draven became refined, became a thing that was easy to put on. Like, I almost, most of the time, didn't realize that I was doing it. And suddenly, Gabriel started to form. I had to be the fastest in the room. I had to be the most maniacal, but I had to be willing to do the worst. Um, and I had to be able to do it in a moment's notice. And I had to be able to have these conversations and caucuses between myself and Gabriel with no one noticing. If you've ever seen me staring in the mirrors for long periods of time or saw me in a silence that just looked like it couldn't be broken, you witnessed the meeting of the minds. Two sides, one coin. I poured so much of the hurt that I had into Gabriel that he became like the ultimate protector for me. To this day, no one has protected me the way he has. No one has sacrificed for me the way he did. And they're like, you're talking about yourself, but I'm really not. I'm really not. There are things that set us apart. Thresholds for pain. Um, favorite things. Foods. Things that we like to do. I'm an introvert. By nature. Gabriel Saint was not. All those times you saw me laughing and giggling around you. I was disassociated. I was completely gone. In a place of resting. In a place where I felt safe. And I allowed you. Uh, I allowed you audience with my my horcrux or husk that's what was going on in the situation and it feels so uh okay let me explain it a little bit deeper 
the conversations, the caucuses, the meetings. Everybody here is familiar with Eddie Brock and Venom, correct? I hope so. I don't know if I'm, I don't know why I'm asking questions. It's not like you're here to answer me back. Um, you know those scenes where you see Eddie and Venom interacting and it's almost like, like for cinematography's sake, we can see Venom. But imagine not being able to. Now you're just seeing a person having a long conversation about a decision that needs to be made. And it's so um, in depth. The conversation feels like two friends or two lovers or like a married couple is happening. That's what the relationship between myself and Gabriel boiled down to in the end. A lot of the time it was just me running off. Oh, I can't deal with this. I can't show myself. If I show anything about who I really am, they'll know I'm going to disassociate and you can take over. Now, I know this makes you think that I'm a crazy person, but I honestly believe that what I am um, is a mixture of, uh, of trans and trauma. I am indeed a trans person. But the amount of trauma that I had to live through in a lifetime will definitely change you. It can definitely splinter you off and can break you into pieces. And most of the time, those pieces are regarded as an illness or regarded as a negative. But let's talk about all the things I achieved as Gabriel. I managed to stave off homelessness hundreds of times. I managed to get jobs and thrive. I managed to exist within a society or a community and blend in. And I did those things because I was able to take those splintered off broken pieces of myself, totally created by trauma, and melt them into a suit of armor that I could wear. And I wore the suit of armor so long that I imbibed it with a spirit, with a soul of its own. A willingness of its own. There's a distinct difference between Gabriel and I. I just want to be comfortable. Gabriel wants me to be comfortable at any cost. I just want to be loved. Gabriel knows that we've been hurt so much that love might not be achievable. I just want to be seen. And Gabriel was strong enough to make a scene to make that possible. More outgoing, physically stronger than I am. Emotionally uh, reserved or lacking in emotions compared to me. I am a ball of emotions. And because of the existence of Gabriel and people not being able to see the differences between him and I, I'm still left with... I'm still left with the residuals where people think that I just don't have feelings. I'm not allowed to hurt. I'm not allowed sadness. I'm not allowed joy. And at times, I believe those people and Gabriel was what told me that I was allowed. Ultimately, I shared a picture on my Facebook this week where I talked about the relationship, the fork in the road, the decision that we both made. 
I didn't just make a decision that it was time for me to be me and, and let completely go. There is still a tether that bounds who I was to this world. Um, I went through the ordeal of symbolically burying Gabriel and placing him in a space that I hold sacred because I, I, I respected what he meant and what he stood for, for me, for that period of time. But you can't put to rest a being that is part of you without it rubbing off on you. That's the reason why my voice is so hard to change. There's no, um, I've taken therapies, voice therapy and all those things. I've spoke about it in the past. I take, I took voice therapy for a reason because I knew that this voice was not mine. I can hear my voice in my head. You can't. You hear him. I, I hear me. Um, I know this feels like rambling, but when you think about going back to Venom in the symbiont, it makes a lot of sense sometimes when I identify as we. I'm still feeling for two people sometimes. I'm still existing in a space where I'm more than one person. Sometimes it's forced. Uh, sometimes... I'll, I just need to disappear for a while and I can always just go on co-pilot. It is frequent. It's not as, it's, it's not as, well, it's full, few and far between. It's not as frequent as it used to be. I literally one day went into Gabe Saint mode and stayed there for years. A shell like inside watching while everything was going on, wondering when my time to be free was going to be and thinking that, oh, the joy that everyone will feel when they finally get to meet the real me, I get to be free. I get to be free. That's not what happened. I'm more isolated than I was before. I'm at times more fearful of the world than I was before. And in those times, I try to lean onto the little bit of Gabe that I have left. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, I'm going to take a hit of my marijuana. Bear with me and we'll get back into it. So, <clears throat> geez. So, in the early relationship between Eddie and and Venom, it wasn't so uh, balanced. There was no balance. They didn't work together. They mixed like oil and water. There was things that the symbiont would do that disgusted Brock, and there was things that Brock did that the symbiont just couldn't understand. Like caring for other human beings, not wanting to be seen as a monster, 
uh, not eating things that humans don't eat, i.e. animals, car parts, people. Uh, Brock wanted anonymity, wanted to be able to slink in and out without being seen as the anomaly or a weirdo or a monster. Uh, the symbiont just wanted to be able to use Brock's frame to survive. And eventually, like at some point, at some point in their relationship, and we're talking about the character Venom, uh, at some point in the relationship, the symbiont and Brock became one, able to communicate, able to work together, able to put pieces of themselves out there to each other. They like, and there's periods of times in the comic books where if you read about the symbiont, like um, Venom and Eddie Brock, they speak to each other like lovers. They speak to each other like, like they're married. And in turn, the same thing was happening in my relationship with self. I have never been married to a male on this plane, but I am the wife of Gabriel Saint. I have never been in a long-term relationship with a cisgendered male, but I lived in this body with Gabriel for more than two decades. Gabriel has watched me cry. I have watched him brood. Gabriel has watched me shrink away from the world. I have watched him thrive in a space that I really wanted to be in, but couldn't manage the strength to do so. Two sides, one coin. It's so weird that comic books will like lay the groundwork for an understanding of self. At no point in time while reading comic books a couple of days ago did I realize that I was going to become more attuned with what I am with who I am and what I've been through. And no story tells the story of Gabriel and Cameron better than any Venom comic book in the modern times. Take away the movies. Take the movies out of the, off the table. Like I said before, it was a relationship that is the only relationship where I was constantly protected. The only relationship I've ever been in where I was constantly protected, never let down. I was never hurt by Gabriel. I was never judged. I was only protected. And in me flourishing and wanting to be my own person and wanting to come out, I had to give that protector up. And it's sad because, like, I wish that Gabriel had a body of his own. We'd be friends. Possibly dating. I don't know if that sounds strange. Blake, thanks for joining in. As I said, we're on Instagram as well while this is going on. I see one of my NQO mates on um, the Instagram. I just want to send a shout out to Blake. Um, it's a strange sensation to exist as a, like a, a trans person who is attuned spiritually with themselves. Uh, I spend so much time by myself that's the only thing i could do was was seek atonement to seek uh oneness with nature the nature of myself and the nature of me is that first i was a she 
then I was a he. Sometimes I can be identified as a they. And most of the time, I am we. I speak sometimes about Gabriel like he's not here. Because there are times where he's not. Um, Just as Gabriel spoke about me in whispers and therapy groups trying to get me out. Uh, like I wasn't there because I wasn't. It's it's a shut off. Like there's a there's a definite t- space in the timeline where I I stopped existing for a while and went on like this autopilot where I was masking and and I was passing so hard that I like I got to be dormant once again. I am several years younger than my body is. Do the math. Think about it. Technically, I'm only 10. Have I been around for 40 years? Yes. Have I existed on this plane legally for 40 years? No. Imagine being a foreigner in the body that was originally assigned to you. So for all intents and purposes, there was a period of time where I was a symbiont. I wasn't the, I wasn't the host of this body. I don't think that I'm going insane. Just this is for trans nerds who understand comic books. This is definitely, uh, these are definitely thoughts that I have. These are definitely things that I have experienced. Um, There's a long period of time. And I want to say honestly, to be honest with everyone. From 2005 to 2007, I did not exist. That's when I took a hard, hard sleep, like a vampire. Like I crawled into the back of the psyche and I went to sleep and I just allowed Gabriel. At that point in time from, uh, I want to say 2001 to 2007 was the most tumultuous time of my life was where I felt the most dysphoria is where my body underwent the most changes. Once again, remembering that like my puberty started late. Like, puberty for me started late. Until 1997, I was pretty feminine looking. I was really skinny. I was really, like, not muscly at all. My voice was really high. And then in 2001, uh, a promoter whispered in my ear that I'm never going to get anywhere unless I man up. And I took it to heart. We took it to heart. And we started working out in the gym. And our body started to change. And we had attractions to others that we couldn't keep. We had relationships that we couldn't keep. And when I had to break up with my boyfriend, I decided that I was going to let Gabe have this body for a little bit. That I was going to push myself to the back. That I was a nuisance that would bring sadness and sorrow because existing in the world is me. You become the target of those things. So shout out to Ruben. I know you got a whole family. I'm not going to say how many kids you got, but it's a lot. <laughs> um, and, and and you're on your second wife. Congratulations. Uh, but I can't help but feel like I put you on that path because I harmed you in such a way to be... Gabriel, that you also went back into the closet. 
So even in a comic book standpoint, I can't be considered a hero because I've done damage. I've done life-changing damage. Maybe one day it'll all make sense. I put these stuff, I'll put this stuff out into the ether so that someone of our persuasion will hear it and understand the conversations that are echoing inside themselves. That voice that you hear. I've always been very attuned with the voice. Gabriel has always been very loud and clear to me. And I knew when we were switching sides. And sometimes I'd be like, hey, I don't want to come back. You got this. We got a great job. We're getting bookings. <laughs> we're feared, respected. Yeah. Generally from 20. 2001 to 2007 I just put Gabe in charge and I left the bridge <laughs> then we got to the space and I want to say from 20 like from 2007 uh, to 2013 where conversations were constantly being had where I wanted out and I wanted to be who we were missing out on because at that time I was keep I was a timekeeper. We 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 wasted 27 years being someone we're not and being like, but look, we have to hold on to what we currently are. Because if we let go of this to, to journey into this new space as 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 ourselves, as as you, as me. We have to, we have to sacrifice things. We have to give up things. Things will be taken from us. And that picture that I shared on Facebook is the last conversation we had together where I wasn't in control. That was the last time that Gabriel was in full control. All the rest of this shit has been me. And I think I've been doing a bang up job at becoming a recluse and 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 a truth sayer a lot of good hiding did us we could have did this 20 years ago but i wouldn't have met such a genuinely strong and like personable and protective friend you get to hang out with your best friend for a couple hours and then you leave and go home mine is always with me So the time that I spend by myself, am I really alone? <laughs> Psychosis. I think this is the first episode where I've ever taken a, a second hit. And it's because it's that fucking weird and deep. But. I just wanted to expound on that relationship. And talk about it a little bit more in open forum. This will probably leave me open to some troll calling me a crazy person. Because they don't understand duality. But I do. Probably more than any other being on this planet. And with that being said. Uh, this has been another episode of Tranos and the Lived Experience. I'm your host. Kamrayin Aline Maharet Jarrell. A.K.A. Tranos. Say it with your whole chest. 
or I will dark slide your grandmother on the curb. This is Trenos in the lived experience. The show that literally lives by a singular theme. We are Cameron.